This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Munro. Today's session is one of my favorites, personally, because I used to work in the Department of Corrections. Um, so for those of you who don't know, my, my background is in being a probation officer. I was in the Department of Corrections for about seven years in a range of different roles from frontline staff through to management. Uh, and I used to work with very dangerous criminals. I used to work with people who had committed quite heinous crimes and worked to rehabilitate them. And for those I couldn't rehabilitate, I worked to monitor them and try to stop them from causing further harm once they got out of prison. Most of what I learned around the psychology of manipulation, I learned in corrections, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be having a look at the psychology of manipulation. We're going to look at what is manipulation, how does it work, how is it that one person can influence another, how is it that one person can influence another into doing something they don't even want to do, and how does this affect you in your everyday life. We're going to have a look at what can be done to keep you safe from harmful manipulation uh, and to be able to identify the difference between helpful and harmful manipulation. So that's what today is all about. Having a look at that, we're going to have a look at the four main manipulation tactics or strategies that will be used against you. And I also encourage you or challenge you, I should say, to look at yourselves. How do you manipulate others? Because you do do it. I guarantee you that. No matter how much of a good person you like to think you are, there will be times in your life when you use underhanded or deceitful tactics in order to get something that you want. And every time you do this, probably, unless you're kind of inclined towards psychopathy, you'll be living outside of your values. You'll be going against what's true to you. You'll be losing integrity when you behave in this way. And that's why I want you to look at yourselves when we talk about this. We all manipulate. And today we're going to be looking at how we do that, why we do that, and whether or not we should be changing some of our behavior. So like I said, as we go on, make sure you fire your questions, comments, insights, stories. I love stories. They're what I learn from the most into the chat box there, and uh, if you feel like chatting, we can bring you up on the screen, and you can say your piece as well. So let's start by having a look at what is manipulation, this word, what does it mean to us, and what does it represent? I think one of the key things to understand is for most people, the word manipulation has negativity connotated to it. We see manipulation as something that leads to harm in some way. But actually, manipulation is a neutral word. Manipulation simply means to influence something. I am manipulating this pen right now. This is me manipulating the pen. The pen was happily lying on the desk before I got involved. It was my manipulation that brought it up into the air. That's all manipulation is, having an effect on outcomes. And in terms of social interaction, manipulation is where what you do influences somebody else into a change of behavior. So let's have a look at the different types of manipulation that can happen in terms of helpful versus harmful. 
what we'll be focusing on today is mostly harmful. We'll be looking at what type of manipulation makes your life worse, both giving and receiving. But let's first just have a look at the difference between helpful and harmful manipulation. Actually, you know what, before we go into that, let's take a step back and have a look at how manipulation works in general. What is happening psychologically psychologically during influence, during manipulation? Well, one of the key factors I want you guys to really focus on is the connection between behavior and emotion. Or should I say decision-making, which leads to behavior and emotion. We are essentially emotional mammals. That's what we are. Very few of us make decisions without any emotion attached. We like to think we do. We like to tell ourselves that we do. But in terms of neuroscience and the kind of research that we're seeing coming out of that in the last 10 years, it's quite clear that we do not make decisions free from emotion. In fact, emotions kind of make our decisions for us. Decision-making occurs mostly in the limbic system, which is kind of like the middle part of the brain in there. And that's also where emotions are attached to different things, like emotional memory happens in there. And so essentially the the most basic, simplistic way to look at it is the emotional part of your brain is the decision-making part of your brain as well. So while your rational mind comes up with all these stories and costs and benefits and so on, it's essentially the executive decision happens in the emotional part of your brain. If you don't feel like doing it, there's not really much else that the rest of your brain can do about it. <clears throat> so when it comes to manipulation and someone intense, you know, intentionally using manipulation against you, that is the part of the brain that they're aiming at. They're not aiming to convince you with facts and figures. They're aiming to move you emotionally. That is how you influence somebody. <clears throat> And the best manipulators know this. They understand this very well. They're not trying to convince you rationally. They're trying to move your emotions in a way that will affect your decision-making. And this is what I really want you to hold on to throughout this entire session, to really focus on the most, is that connection between how you feel emotionally and your decision-making. Because if you are like, especially for the guys watching this, the men, if you're like most guys, when you were raised, uh, you were probably conditioned into thinking that certain emotional states are wrong or bad. In fact, it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. A lot of us are raised in this way, but guys more so, I believe. So it's a general thing, especially in Western society, for a guy to be raised to think that anything from anger through to sadness, through to fear, through to confusion, disgust, all of these emotions are emotions that are a problem, a symptom of some problem, and they need to be fixed or repressed as we most often deal with them. So if you're not okay with your emotions, then you're more open to manipulation than anyone else. Essentially, somebody who thinks they can control their emotions is the easiest to manipulate. And I learned this from some of the most masterful manipulators in this country and possibly on the planet, gang leaders. I worked with a lot of gang leaders in the Department of Corrections. These are guys who ran massive communities of psychopathic, vicious, violent, ambitious men. And they were able to rule over them for many years. 
And you don't get that way just by being tough. There are plenty of plenty of tough guys in gangs. You know, you get to run a gang by being the most efficient manipulator. It's as simple as that. And the thing is, what you've got with a with a highly psychopathic and vicious gang population is essentially guys who are actually fairly easy to manipulate. All you have to do is get them to feel that sort of loyal compulsion towards the gang, and then you can get them to do just about anything. You get them to feel special and significant, and you can get them to do just about anything. For those who that doesn't work with, you just simply make them feel afraid, and you can get them to do anything. And a master manipulator knows which one to use and tests out how to use these on you. So coming back to the to the concept of helpful versus harmful manipulation, we can quite clearly see some obvious helpful forms of manipulation. Essentially, my job is manipulation. I'm a coach. I work with people to challenge their belief systems, to help them grow in terms of their own psychology, to build their confidence, to develop skills in the social world that they can use to increase their quality of life. All of this requires me to manipulate them. Now, I don't generally, I try to avoid at least telling people what to do, but the kind of questions and statements and tools and techniques that I use during a coaching session are all forms of manipulation. When you are in a classroom being taught by a teacher, you are being manipulated by the teacher. When you are sitting at traffic lights stopped because it's a red light you are manipulated by the societal rules around that red light there's so much manipulation happening in your everyday life and a lot of it is helpful now how do we know it's helpful there's a very simple measure a very simple question to begin with and that is is my quality of life improving in the long term because of this manipulation is my quality of life improving now, that is a very different question to, do I feel good right now? And those are often confused with each other. Feeling good right now is often confused with, my quality of life has improved. If you can understand the difference between these two things, you'll be put in a really good place for managing manipulation. Because a lot of manipulation, harmful manipulation, is aimed at making you feel something right now. Whereas helpful manipulation is usually aimed at allowing you to feel something in the future. So, for example, if I'm teaching someone a new skill, it might be frustrating and confusing for them. I, uh, um, at least this week, I'll be starting to teach a beginner Zouk class. Zouk's a form of Brazilian dancing. And I know that a lot of guys in the class are going to be frustrated and a little bit pissed off as they learn the different maneuvers, the different techniques. And... That's okay. I'm okay with them feeling not comfortable now because what I'm trying to help them with is something that they will feel good about in the future. So later on when they're at the, on the dance floor in a club and they're having a fantastic dance with a beautiful woman, it'll be worth all that frustration and confusion that they went through in the class. So that is what I'd call helpful manipulation. When I manipulate them into being better zoot dancers, it may not feel good right now, but it's helpful for their overall quality of life. It brings dancing into their life and improves their social world. So same with coaching. I might make someone feel 
upset during a coaching session. I do that quite often, I'll challenge something that they've believed for many years and it upsets them to do that. But it's all aimed at trying to improve, to, to break down a belief system that's harming them and to replace it with one that will increase their quality of life over time. Now that doesn't mean that if you feel good right now that you're definitely being harmfully manipulated, but it is a warning sign. So let's have a look, what is the difference with harmful manipulation? Essentially when it comes to helpful and harmful manipulation, you're kind of looking at who wins in the end. And I don't mean in terms of a competition with each other, but in terms of quality of life improving. So if I have some salesman who's flattering me and making me feel really good right now and I end up buying a car that's way out of my depth, which I did recently by the way, manipulation still does work on me, um, my quality of life on the day I buy the car seems to have gone up exponentially, I'm, yay I finally have a car, look how good my life is. And the salesman doesn't seem to have changed at all, they were just doing their job, it seems like I'm the winner here. But four months later when I can't make my payments and I'm struggling and the debt collectors are being called and so on, which isn't what's happened to me in real life by the way, but false scenario, my quality of life has now gone down because of this purchase, yet the salesman's quality of life went up. So we can quite clearly see that whether the salesman intended it or not, we didn't both come out of this being a winner. I came out of it being a loser in the long term. My quality of life was reduced in the long term. Yet at the time that the manipulation took place, I felt like my quality of life had improved. So it's a warning sign that it feels like your quality of life has increased immediately. Just a warning sign, not a sure thing, but a warning sign. Somebody can make you feel good right now, and that's fine. But it's a warning sign that manipulation that may be harmful to your future is taking place. A really subtle example of this that can often be confused with somebody doing a good deed is a compliment. When someone compliments you, you feel good and you can't see any reason why that would be a bad thing, why you'd put that in the harmful manipulation category. I mean, the person has increased my self-worth right now. How could that possibly be a bad thing? How could their intentions be anything other than pure? Well, even if their intentions are good... What they've simply done is condoned your pattern of validation. So when you compliment someone, you're actually encouraging them to base their self-worth on compliments, on external validation. If they're continued to be encouraged to do that, they will eventually become dependent on it, which means their self-worth will be in the hands of others. So what's really quite shocking with complimenting is you're setting them up in the long term to become dependent on other people's opinions, which means their self-worth is going to absolutely fluctuate and sometimes crash depending on how other people react to them. In that sense, a compliment is almost as harmful as an insult. And in fact, sometimes an insult is less harmful because an insult will make someone more likely to go, you know what, fuck what other people think. Whereas a compliment will be like, ah, oh, what other people think is so great. So, we can see that some things that look like helpful manipulation in the moment actually cause more harm in the longer term. You might think, 
calming someone down who's angry is helpful manipulation. Yet if this person always needs someone else to calm them down and never learns to manage it on their own, they become dependent and helpless and their situation will get worse and worse and worse over time. Whereas if you let them have a nice big tantrum and say, are you happy with the way you behaved after they're finished? They might hate you for it, but it might plant a seed that changes their pattern of behavior and allows them to manage their anger in a much more helpful way. So there's so many billions of examples that we can look at, but one of the key things I want you to understand with manipulation is helpful manipulation means that in the longer term, your quality of life is increased. And harmful manipulation often means that in the short term, it feels like an increase, but then it's taken away in the longer term. You actually end up less than in the future. One of the key measures to know the difference, and this is one that you can implement, a practical thing that you can implement right away, both giving and receiving manipulation, is the concept of permission. Now, permission means two things when I use that word. First off, it means, has the person said, yes, you can give me feedback, or yes, you can manipulate me, teach me, whatever, in some way? Have they given you that explicit permission to continue? And also, have they given you guidance as to how it would help them the most for you to continue? So when you go to a class to learn from a teacher, that is implicit permission. For you to show up at the class is saying, yes, I give you permission to teach me. Right? It's very easy, very straightforward, very obvious. If you then, if the teacher was then to go, class, I'd like you to give me some feedback on how I can communicate with you best. You know, do you prefer that we play games or that I tell you stories or that we do this and we do that? And the class gives the teacher feedback. That's the next level of permission. Now you know for sure as a teacher that you're going to be helping those people. You're helping them in the way they want to be helped rather than the way you think they need to be helped, which is judgmental. So the same thing applies if someone is influencing your emotions. If you can feel yourself changing and you don't recall giving them explicit permission to have this influence on you, we've got another warning sign that you are being harmfully manipulated. You see, when somebody gives you manipulation, when somebody influences you without your permission, there's almost no way that they're doing it for you, though they will be telling themselves that story in their head quite often. But if you haven't said, yes, please influence me in some way, if and you haven't said, this is how it would help me most, please focus on this, this, and this, if you're going to help me, then essentially they're doing it from their own provocation, their own, uh, what do you call it? It was their decision to manipulate you, not yours, which means they have their own reasons for doing it. So if a salesperson approaches you and says, how can I help you? And you say, actually, I need some advice on that thing. That's giving permission. If they go to sell you that thing now, you've kind of opened up that. You're in an open contractual. You understand they've got to sell stuff, that this is a transaction. And you've made it clear that's the kind of thing I want to buy. Tell me more about that. That's how you can help me most to make the sale. Whereas if you're watching infomercials on TV and the person's just blasting you with testimonials and demonstrations and blah, 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 You've kind of given permission by turning on the channel, but you haven't really said, I want to buy this thing. Tell me more about it. You're just getting hit with it. You're being manipulated. And odds are you're going to regret buying that thing. If anybody 
watching this has bought something off TV or an infomercial, odds are it's tucked in under your bed and you're not even using it. So when somebody's working with you, understanding that permission factor is crucial to making a difference between helpful or harmful manipulation. And this goes for you too. So if you're giving advice that somebody hasn't asked for, you're probably going to manipulate them harmfully because you don't know what they need. You've assumed what they need. And in doing so, you're now being judgmental, which means you're really doing this for you, not for them. You're doing this because you want them to behave a certain way because you're upset with their behavior. And that's all you. That's got nothing to do with them. Just because something they do upsets you or offends you or you don't think it's the right way to do something doesn't mean you're right. And it doesn't mean that you influencing them will make their life better. It's all about you. Now you have a story in your head. Here I am helping this person. Look, they're in pain and now I'm taking their pain away. And that's how you justify your sort of needy controlling behavior. But in reality, unless they've given you permission and guidance on how they want to be supported, then you're doing it for you, not for them. So you can do it if you want, but don't lie to yourself about why you're doing it. Don't pretend you're doing it for them when they haven't given you permission. It's a tough one, I know. You start thinking back, what are all the times I've given advice without being asked? And it's kind of shocking. And you realize, I don't actually know if that's what they needed. I know that's what I needed. I know watching their behavior annoyed me, or I know that um, I saw what I thought was pain, which for them might not have been. I had a great discussion with my flatmate. Well, we had a brojo session actually the other day, and we were talking about connections and the idea of showing interest in a woman when she's upset. So uh, he was he was having a conversation with a woman who was in a bad mood as he saw it, and he started showing compassion. Invest, tell me more about it, why are you feeling this way, blah, blah, blah. And it seemed to be coming from a really great place, and consciously it was. He's like, look at me, I'm, you know, I'm caring for her, I'm showing interest. But the very fact that he was only investigating this emotion and not others showed that he saw this emotion as being a problem. So straight away he's in a judgmental place. He doesn't know that this emotion is a problem. It's just a problem for him. She might like being angry. Or, if she's a healthy person, she might realize that anger is a completely normal and natural human emotion to be experienced occasionally, just like all the others. So to try and fix it might actually be harmful for her. Maybe she needs this anger to be motivated, passionate, courage, courageous. If he takes that anger away from her, she's going to lose that motivation, passion, and courage. So this is a huge one, especially for nice guys, is we'll dive in to help someone because we think they're in pain. But actually, that's just us judging them. That's just our insecurities about what they're doing or feeling. And we're trying to get rid of our own discomfort and trying to help them. So, permission. If someone does not have your permission to influence you, you haven't explicitly or implicitly given that permission. If they're not interested in following your guidance on how you can be helped the most, then all the warning bells should be going off that you're now heading towards a harmful place. If someone's influence on you has been done without your permission, it could be heading towards a harmful place. However, there are always exceptions. You can quite easily give permission to someone to influence you to a very harmful place that happens all the time. 
many of you watching will have been to some self-help seminar or webinar or something and totally allowed yourself to be conned and fooled by some snake oil salesman, you know. Um, I won't go too much into my own <laughs> opinions about different options out there, but I think there are a lot of vultures in the self-help industry. There are a lot of people out there who are trying to use your pain to make money. And they do that by teaching a whole lot of pseudoscientific bullshit. And you can quite easily give your permission for them to have this influence on you. And this is where we get to see a combination of the two biggest warning signs, both permission and how you're feeling right now. So if you're, let's say you've given permission, you've gone to this self-help seminar type thing, and during the self-help seminar, you're feeling really pumped. You're amped. Oh, yes, this is the way forward. Yay. Yeah. There's no discomfort. There's no frustration, confusion. There's just, I am alive right now. Woo. That's another warning sign. For you to feel so hyped in that moment tells you something's being done to me right now. This is not normal for me. This is not my baseline sort of emotional state. I've been influenced and changed, and I feel good right now. And what we can, what we can see with this kind of behavior is often feeling good right now means feeling bad later. Whereas if someone was really teaching you and really kind of moving you forward, odds are you're going to feel confusion, frustration. You're going to feel a bit of resistance as your brain fights against having its beliefs changed. But then you'll have to go out and practice this thing. You'll have to go test it for yourself and experiment and find out whether or not it's true for, your, for yourself. And later on, your quality of life will improve. That's one of the things I tried to use to keep myself honest is I always... When I'm doing this kind of work, like these kind of coaching webinars and things like that, is I encourage you to test me rather than believe me. You know, I want you to not believe anything I'm saying and go out and find out for yourself. You know, you can go test all these theories. You can do research. You can mostly I want you to go and try it out and see, you know, assume I'm full of shit and go and see if it's true rather than assume I know what I'm talking about. So anybody also who you see this in the kind of guru type mentality the kind of person who just says my way is the way there is no doubt that's a huge warning sign why would someone have no doubt about their way i mean there's a difference between being sure of yourself and being absolutely without doubt that your way is the only way that's another huge warning sign as well So I want you guys to start having a think about now, what are the big moments of manipulation that have occurred in your life who have, that have shaped who you are, especially the harmful ones? There's a specific example that I want to talk about first. And I should point out in a minute, we'll go into the actual different types of manipulation and how to work with them. But I want to start with this, um, some examples. A really common one that comes up for the guys that I work with, and uh, in particular the women that I work with, it seems to happen more with the women I work with, is guilt tripping by parents. Parents are the biggest influence in, our, in the first 10 years of our lives, uh, statistically, and then the second 10 years of our lives, our biggest influence are kind of our peers, especially from high school age onwards. And 
these are the people who will shape us. These are the people who will decide how we're going to be for the rest of our lives, especially because in those early years, we're so much more easily influenced. It's so much, so much easier to shape a child for life, to really put them on a certain direction, to kind of predetermine a lot of their decisions um, than it is with an adult. And one of the biggest ones I see for people who have self-worth issues is the presence of guilt as a manipulation tactic early in their childhood years. You know, parents use all sorts of methods to influence their children, and most use a massive range, and very few are perfect. In fact, probably none are in terms of using nothing but helpful, healthy forms of influence. But some parents are, are terrible. It's, there's no other way to put it. Some of you have had terrible upbringings in terms of very unhelpful, harmful manipulation tactics being used on you to influence your behavior by parents who were either confused, angry, lazy, or whatever. And it's really important to understand that at this, at that young age, you really had no idea what was going on. You have no wisdom. You have no critical thinking capability in the brain. You just accept everything as truth. So I want you to sort of look back without getting too therapeutic on it and think, what was used against me? How was my mood, the way I feel, used to move my behavior? And guilt tripping's a massive one. So we see guilt tripping happening a lot with, uh, especially using siblings against each other. Why can't you be more like your brother? That kind of thing. It's devastating for children to hear those kind of words. You know, that I'm you're not good enough type thing, which we'll be looking at in a minute when we look at the different um, manipulation types. But guilt tripping is one of the most devastating in terms of long-term harm. You make someone feel guilty about their normal natural behavior and you can fuck them up for life. And I think nowhere is this more apparent than with sex offenders. Uh, so for those, some of you watching right now, I'm just about to talk about sex offenders, and that may be a bit traumatic for you. So you might want to just skip the next couple of minutes. Sex offenders, uh, I, I used to specialize in working with sex offenders. And when I say sex offenders, I mean pedophiles. I mean child sex offenders. And guilt was their main weapon of choice. You want to make someone move, you make them feel guilty about their behavior. You want to keep a child quiet, you make them feel guilty about the concept of talking. Guilt is one of our most powerful, most our uncomfortable feelings, guilt. It's one of the ones we try to get away from the most. One of the reasons that we behave in such douchebaggy, shitty ways most of the time is because we're just trying to get away from guilt. So a smart manipulator knows that guilt is the most effective form of movement, and that's what they'll try and use. You know, sort of unpracticed or stupid manipulators will usually try to use force, like uh, we'll talk about in a second, aggression, intimidation, try to make you afraid. But that's a very basic form of manipulation. That's, that's an unintelligent form of manipulation. If you really want to harmfully hurt someone, you use guilt. So there'll be times where you are made to feel guilty. Bullying is often something where guilt is used. The, the bully makes you feel like you're not good enough, that you're an outsider, that you are less than the other children on the playground, that kind of thing. And 
that's what really allows them that such power and control over you. How can you stand up for yourself if you don't think you're very good, if you're not worth standing up for, if you're not worth getting afraid and courageous for? There's no point in doing it. So guilt is very effective there. So a lot of you will actually be quite prone to guilt. You'll be easily manipulated through guilt tactics. You'll find that if someone makes you feel guilty, you're more likely to change your behavior because you've been conditioned to do so from a young age. Another one that comes up a lot is, of course, fear. So some of us were raised with fear. So um, again, this can happen with parenting, but it can happen in your peer group in high school as well, is the idea that there will be harmful consequences if you don't do the behavior, that you will be physically harmed in some way. And often just the threat of it is enough because your brain does simulations and imagines that threat being carried out. It's almost as good as getting a beaten, you know. So fear is a really common one. And so if you are raised by a particularly abusive caregiver or if you were sort of bullied in a violent way at school or that kind of thing, um, or you simply lived in a violent area uh, like I did when I never lived in a violent area, but I went to school in a, in a it was getting near the bottom of the totem pole in terms of socioeconomic status. And there were a lot of fights at my school. There was a lot of violence at my school. And it became, you know, there was this thing. It used to be just someone would make eye contact with you and say, what? And that was basically saying, I'm going to beat you up for no reason now. And so you'd hear this every now and you just hear what? And you wouldn't look, you know, you'd just stay away from it because you're so sure that it had violence attached to it. And I think back then, somebody could have easily controlled my behavior with that one word. They could have changed the direction I was walking in. They could have changed who I was hanging out with just through that one word and through my fear of violence. So violence is a, and the threat of violence is a very powerful form of manipulation. And the key to remember is somebody doesn't actually have to say they're going to hit you. They just have to provoke a fear of violence in you. This one, again, is as much... Um, it plays out differently, I think, for guys and for girls, depending on their backgrounds. Some women, I think, because they haven't experienced violence like guys do, um, they can get themselves into really dangerous situations. They can get themselves into situations where they don't think they're going to be harmed because they think, huh, nobody would ever hit me. I'm a girl. They've been raised to believe that. And they can put themselves in a very dangerous relationship because of that. Whereas others are the opposite. They've had abusive partners or fathers or whatever. And they're so afraid of being hit by guys that they won't stand up for themselves in the presence of a male. So let's, let's move on now to having a look at the four different manipulation methods. And we'll look at some more examples as to how these come up. And now we're going to start moving into how you deal with it. But again, what I really want to emphasize is it's all about how you feel first. If you want to manage manipulation, if you want to prevent people from manipulating you towards harmful outcomes, you need to be, as cheesy as it sounds, in touch with the way you feel. You need to be monitoring how your emotions fluctuate in the presence of other people because those fluctuations are going to tell you that you're being manipulated. Let's have a look at the four different types. The first one is the one that's most obviously harmful. So we'll get that one out of the way first because it's actually one of the rarer ones. And that is intimidation. 
Intimidation is simply allowing someone to believe that they are at risk of physical harm. So you're provoking the emotions of fear and um, risk or basically a lack of safety, all those kind of sensations that you are fight or flight response, essentially. Now, this can be done very obviously, like I could come up to you and say, I'm going to punch you in the face. That would be a very obvious form of intimidation manipulation. Or it can be done very subtly, like maybe I just get into your personal space. Maybe I come close to you. Maybe I lock eyes with you in an intimidating way. Maybe I talk over you in a conversation. Maybe I'm louder than you. Maybe I slap you on the back when you make a joke just a little bit too hard. These are all things that make you start to feel like your physicalness is being dominated. And I really want you guys to pay attention to the subtle versions of this. So this might be that person who always talks over you or rolls their eyes. Actually, that would be different. Forget that rolls eyes thing. But someone who talks over you in a, in a team meeting. Somebody who gets into your personal space and says, what are you talking about when they disagree with you? Somebody who kind of, what we used to call in the prison system, a standover. So it's in prison, you often see on movies that the main currency in prison is cigarettes. What I found out, actually, at least in New Zealand prisons, the main currency is actually food. So there's limited food, and if you want to be the biggest, strongest guy in there, you're going to have to find more than your portion of food. You're going to have to get more meat and more protein if you want to be big and strong in there because they don't give you enough. So what happens is you have to steal other people's food. So it helps if you're already pretty big when you go into prison because then you can do what's called a standover, and quite literally sometimes it just means standing over someone. So you go stand next to them and just say, what, you're going to eat that? You're going to eat that? You're still hungry? You're going to eat that? You know, until the guy goes, oh, you know, I don't need all this chicken. He then sets a precedent. You never have to threaten that person ever, or at least not again, because now you've set the pattern. You just go up to them and just be like, chicken, please. Thank you. And you can carry on like that, and they'll get skinnier and skinnier, and you'll get bigger and bigger, and eventually you'll run the prison. So intimidation is is one of the most simplistic forms, it's not an intelligent form of manipulation. It's kind of the last resort of the, the big tough person who's got no brains. And um, in particular, in the modern world, it isn't threats of violence explicitly. It's more just taking up your space, overriding you, dominating you. They're feeling like you are at risk and unsafe. The next one, and this is the one that will affect a lot of people in relationships and it will affect particularly um, male-female romantic relationships, and that's flattery. So whereas intimidation is aimed to make someone feel afraid, flattery is to validate someone. It's to make them feel good about themselves in your presence and to anchor that to you. So if I flatter someone... Not only do they get to feel good, but they associate me with that good feeling. It also allows me the permission to take that feeling away from them whenever I feel like, which we'll talk about in a minute. So if I validate someone, I'm then able to invalidate them. I now have control over their self-worth, like I've got a dial. I can turn it up and turn it down as I see fit. I can turn it up when they behave in the way I want, and I turn it down when they behave the way I don't want. And they quickly become conditioned to behave the way I want to get those external rewards. This is the kind of thing you use to train a dog. Flattery is uh, like giving a dog a treat when it does its, when it sits down or lies down at command. 
flattery is somebody coming up to you at a bar and pressing up against your arm and going, are you going to get me a wine too? That's flattery. <clears throat> flattery is making you feel special, significant, important in order to use you. So flattery is if you're in somebody else's presence and you feel better about yourself because of what they're saying, you are being subjected to flattery. So what we talk about a lot in Brojo when it comes to confidence is being able to manage your own confidence where neither compliments nor insults affect you. You understand that that's just somebody expressing themselves. It's actually not a measurement of you. But so if you are affected by compliments, you're actually opening yourself up to be affected by insults. You're worried about what other people think. Having people say good things about you to you is not going to help. It's going to make it worse. And the same thing goes both ways. You might think, oh, if I give someone a compliment, they'll feel better about themselves. I'm doing a good deed. No, you're not. No, you're not. You are making them become attached to external validation. You're making it worse, not better. You think, oh, look, I've made them feel good right now. Problem solved. No, it's not. You've actually helped to continue the program, the pattern of clinging on to others for validation. You've made it worse. So when somebody compliments you, tells you good things about yourself, especially when you get a sense that they're not really paying attention to who you are, they're just throwing generic kind of compliments your way, odds are they're using it as a form of manipulation. You know, and um, guys and girls in the dating scene use this all the time. So guys will use it by pretending to be interested. You know, that's a real guy one. So you're on a day, oh, tell me more about your job. Wow, really? You're an accountant? Oh, I used to I used to love numbers. Yeah, tell me more. This is kind of false interest thing. That's a form of flattery. Whereas I find that uh, with, with females, it's more likely to take the form of flirting, sort of the hint that maybe you're sexually attractive and using that to flatter. So flattery is a, is a very powerful one because you actually feel good. And you want to seek that good feeling like a drug addict. And a smart manipulator will know how to use that before using the next one I'm going to share, which is invalidation or guilt tripping. In my experience, this is probably the most effective form of manipulation. That you really move someone's behavior if you can control the level of guilt they feel. And this is how you can really, really ruin someone's life essentially. And uh, I used to work with a lot of domestic violence partnerships. I used to work with a lot of guys who hit their partners. And the the violence was actually a small part of the overall manipulation. What they really, the real control freaks, the real psychos like to use was guilt. Make the person feel worthless. And they often combine this with very small doses of flattery, which is it's like when you're training a dog, you use a treat, but you don't use it every time. And you can use punishment as well. That's one way to train a dog. And essentially, invalidation is punishment. You make someone feel unsure of themselves, that they are less than. It can be as simple as someone saying to you, I'd like to speak to the manager, please. What they're really saying is, you're shit at your job. They're judging you and making you feel like you're less than. And this is the kind of manipulation you're going to be subject to all the time because so many people out there lack confidence to have confrontations properly. And all they know, the only weapon they've got in their arsenal is guilt tripping. 
and they do it in the subtle, indirect way where you can't really pin them for doing it, and yet you just feel bad about yourself. It can be someone saying they're disappointed in you. It can be someone saying, oh, I was going to do that, but then you did this, so I missed out. It's these little digs at your self-worth that really that makes it sound like bad things happening are your fault. Anytime somebody uses blame, anytime somebody indicates that you are less than and you feel that guilty feeling, they're using a manipulation technique known as invalidation. This one's used a lot by like terrible bosses, you know, the kind of ones that like you feel anxious just as they come near you because you know they're going to point out something you're doing wrong, you know. That means they've got you in this guilt trip type pattern. And we'll be talking about how to deal with all these in just a minute, so hang on tight. And the last one is, it's not necessarily more effective than guilt tripping, but it is definitely harder to see. And this is what I call the poor me. The poor me technique, uh, otherwise known as distraction. And I, I got this one a lot with the sex offenders I worked with because part of my job with working with sex offenders was to rehabilitate them, and that involved talking about the things they did not want to talk about. Actually, the things neither of us wanted to talk about. You know, we had to dive deep into their crimes and into the psychology behind their crimes. We had to look at why they did what they did, what they enjoyed about it, and so on. Very difficult conversations to have. But most of them were smart enough to know that I didn't have all day. And if they could just waste a lot of my time, I'd eventually have to let them go and move on to my next task. And they, they would use the poor me. Well, one guy in particular, he was one of the most manipulative people I've ever worked with. In fact, he would use all of these different types in a single session. He would go from flattering me, telling me I'm the best probation officer he's ever had, to invalidating me. Like, I'd like to speak to the manager. I don't agree with your decision. I don't think you know what you're talking about through to aggression, he'd throw things around, he'd punch himself in the face, he'd stand over me, he'd stare me down. But his favorite one by far was the poor me. Before he was even halfway through the door, he'd already told me six things that had gone wrong in his life. Or he'd make things go wrong, things that required my intervention. So he'd go and get himself um, banned from the welfare office so he couldn't get his income. So I'd have to make some phone calls to try and get that sorted out. He would talk about his various illnesses, of which there always seemed to be about a dozen, you know, and some of them were legitimate, but he definitely played them up. He'd talk about the various disputes he was having. He'd talk about his own depression and anxiety. So many problems, a wave of them just pouring over me, problem after problem after problem. It seemed like his whole life was a disaster every time we spoke and for the first few months i fell for this i was just like wow this guy's got a tough you know like how oh, i'm gonna have to put aside those uncomfortable discussions which i kind of wanted to do anyway so that we can fix all these millions of problems we can start putting out all these fires after a few months i realized no matter how many fires i put out there were more to to flare up and that's when i realized that he's simply distracting me He's simply throwing problems, seemingly impossible, important things at me to throw me off track. I started to see this pattern that every time I got out of a conversation with him, I hadn't talked about the thing I planned to talk about. We'd only talked about his stuff. You'll see this often in people who don't want to deal with a confrontation, like partners. 
say, hey, we need to talk about your behavior last night. Oh, I can't talk about it now because my boss has been such a dick and this happened and this happened. And then I lost my phone and oh my God. And then blah, blah, blah. I've got all these bills, blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, geez, I'd be such a, I'd be such an asshole to talk about it now when she's going through so much, you know, or he's going through so much. Then you can think, well, actually, are those problems ever going to be solved? Is it always going to be like this? Is this a one-off or does this happen every time I try to bring something up? And this is one of the key things, going backwards a bit here, to identify the difference between harmful manipulation and just a genuine crisis. It's to look for patterns of behavior. Is this a one-off? Or is this something that just keeps happening every time you try to do something? Step back and look at it a bit more clinically, especially for those relationships that you're deeply involved in. Step back and look and just go, wait, what's, uh, why does this keep happening? Why is it I never get to talk about that thing I want to talk about? I never get to do that thing I want to do because something just keeps coming up. That's the woe me, you know, um, poor me sort of distraction technique. So we've got those four different types, and I'd like to wrap up the session by actually talking about what you're here for, which is how to deal with them. Now, I've left it to the end, and it's only given a short period of time because it's actually really straightforward. First and foremost, you have to admit to yourself that you can be manipulated. If you can't do that, if you think that you are impervious to manipulation, if you think nobody can get the best of you, then you're done for. You are the easiest person to manipulate on the planet. You ask anybody who's been to prison, their favorite guards to eventually con into corruption and bringing drugs into prison stuff are the ones who think they can't be corrupted. They're the most easily moved because those people are so rigid and so unaware of their weaknesses that they can be easily discovered and used against them. So very first, that for the rest of your life, you will always be influenced by people. It will always happen to you, no matter how confident or awesome you think you are, it can still happen. And as long as you understand that, you'll have a shot at dealing with it. So first off, to admit that you can be manipulated. The second one is to understand that the answer is always honesty. If you really want to kill someone's manipulation technique, you need to be honest about the way it's making you feel. If you can do that, you neutralize it. Because manipulation requires one thing and one thing only to work effectively. Secrecy. For manipulation to work, nobody's allowed to talk about it happening. Even when intimidation. Intimidation works because you're not going to admit that you're afraid. Flattery works because you're not going to admit that somebody made you feel good. You know, invalidation works because you're not going to admit that you're feeling bad about yourself or guilty. And distraction works because you're not going to call out the fact that you are gone off topic. Secrecy is required. And if you can just embrace the concept of calling it out, you don't have to be right about it. You don't have to be sure that you can say it in a way that people will accept. You just have to call it out every time you feel something that tells you you're being manipulated to speak up and let them know that it's happening. Because one of the things here is a lot of people, they'll be using these tactics and they don't mean to. They don't want to harm you. They're trying to, they've got their own insecurities that are driving this behavior, especially someone who, like your partner guilt tripping you. Maybe he or she doesn't actually want to guilt trip you. They just don't know how to talk about what they want properly. They, they've been conditioned to use guilt by their parents. They're not sure how to just ask directly. You can help them by calling it out. 
And understand they're not malicious, they're not trying to harm you, they're just avoiding their own pain. But it doesn't matter what their intentions are, whether they genuinely want the best for you or if they're actually deliberately trying to deceive you, the approach is the same, calling it out. So what does it mean to call it out? Let's have a look at those different types. Let's start with intimidation. The simplest way to say it is say, I'm afraid right now. Right now your behavior is leaving me feeling afraid, afraid for my safety. This might seem like a really weak thing to do, but it's even weaker to pretend or to not call it out. You can imagine this in a team meeting if someone keeps shouting over the top of you. What most people do in that situation is either shout back or go quiet. One thing they won't do is say, hey, that sort of shouting behavior is very intimidating for me. I prefer that you didn't do it. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because if you call it out, especially when you've been manipulated in front of an audience, that person's now under pressure. If they keep using that behavior, everybody else in the audience has got a name for that behavior now, intimidation. So you call out someone being intimidating at a team meeting. Now, every time they do it, you can see, ah, see, you're doing it again, the intimidation thing. Now you're doing it again. You can keep calling it out and everybody else in the meeting is going to be like, oh, yeah, John and his intimidation. My God, somebody needs to talk to that guy. And it becomes something that everybody's aware of. The secrecy is gone. And now it's very difficult for John to keep using intimidation because it's known now. It's known as a technique. It's known as a strategy of manipulation. He's not angry. He's intimidating. He's using it. He's throwing his weight around. It's a method. It's very hard for him to use a method that everybody knows about. An analogy for that is very hard for a magician to trick you if they tell you how the trick is done or if you call it out in the audience. So calling it out, I'm afraid, you're causing, the, your behavior is leaving me with feelings of fear for my safety. Flattery. Now flattery is a big one for this. You know, the way you're behaving right now is giving me these good feelings. It's telling me that you're trying to make me feel good. Is that what you're doing? Calling out like this idea that they are trying to generate good feelings in you for their own benefit. Now, you don't have to accuse them of doing it for their own benefit because you might be wrong about that. But what you can do is put it back on them. So if the first strategy is to call it out, the second strategy is to put it back on them. So let's say with intimidation, someone's being intimidated, we're like, you know, why is it that you feel the need to intimidate to get your message across? You know, um, some girl's flirting with you at the bar. It's like, why do you feel the need to kind of Try and make me feel like I'm good looking or something to talk to me. Why do you feel the need to? It puts it back on them to explain their behavior, not just to you, but to themselves. They might not want to behave in this way, and this is allowing them to see it. Invalidation. God, this is so important for invalidation. The way you're talking is making me feel guilty. What you're saying right now is leaving me with feelings of guilt. I feel like you're deliberately doing this, which brings us to our third technique. So first you call it out. Secondly, you place it back on them. Why do you feel the need to do this? And the third one is to make a, it's not an accusation exactly, but it's to kind of call out what you think their intention is, you know, and that the idea that they are using this to control you. Now, you're, it's okay to be wrong about this. They can challenge it and argue against it, but now you've called it out. So that big elephant in the room can be seen now. So someone's using a guilt trip and you say, look, I'm feeling guilty as you speak. 
So my assumption is, is that you're actually trying to control me by making me feel bad about myself. Is that what you're doing? Now, it's a very bold confrontational thing to say, but what you've essentially done is made it impossible for them to keep doing this, which is the whole point. By calling it all out in the open, by saying, look, I'm being manipulated by you right now, whether you want that or not. Can we talk about this, please? We can't move forward until we talk about what's happening in the room here, what's happening underneath our conversation. Um, so you call it out. You say, you know, put it back on them. Why do you feel the need to? You let them know that you're seeing this as some form of manipulation, that you believe that they are insecurely trying to control you. And that fourth method, you know, the distraction, is this is where you set the boundary. You bring it back on point. So someone's distracting me, I'll be like, wow, you've got so many issues going on, and we're going to cover all of those once we've talked about this first. And I'll keep bringing it back on track. No matter how many times they relentlessly try to distract me, I'll keep bringing it back. I'll hear everything they have to say. I'll reflect back. Wow, that must be really hard for you. Obviously, you're struggling. We're going to deal with all of that. But first, we're going to deal with this thing because this is more important right now. It's like you approach your partner. Look, we need to talk about the way you disrespected me at the dinner party last night. Oh, my God, I don't have time for a conversation like this. I got this and this and life's so hard. Yeah, I know you've got a lot going on. And we're going to deal with that right after we talk about the way you talked to me at dinner last night. And you just keep bringing it relentlessly back on track. And you need to hold this boundary because what they're going to do now is they're going to test it. Is it going to go, well, fuck you, I'm not talking about that, and storm out? Or uh, say, well, I, I, refuse to, I refuse to talk about that. This is where you look at what, you, what leverage you have available to you. You can say, okay, well, we don't have to talk about that. It's absolutely up to you. But I'm not willing to talk about anything else. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go watch television. And when you're ready to talk about this, you come and find me. Until you are, I'm not interested in talking about anything. And you really set that boundary strongly. So through those four different uh, types, we also looked at the four different techniques. Now, it doesn't mean that there's one technique for each type of manipulation. The four techniques I talked about for managing manipulation apply to all of them. First, you call it out, right? You let them know how you're feeling in reaction to what they're saying. This might be the last thing you need to do because it might turn out that everyone's just having a bigger misunderstanding. They're not actually trying to manipulate you and understanding that you can often be manipulated without somebody attempting to do it just because you're easily influenced, because you're sensitive emotionally, you know. So the second thing, so you call it out, you put it back on them, right? So you let them know, why do you feel the need to put it to me that way? Why are you doing it this way? Why can't you just tell me what you really want? Why are you using this indirect method? Yeah. Um, where are we as? Have we got calling it out? And then you've got the kind of identifying the control factor that's happening. I believe you're doing this because you want to control my behavior, expressing that in some way. And then that last method is really about setting the boundary. You know, that's not the right way to talk to me. Here's a better way. If you want this, this is how you do it. Or well, I'm not willing to talk until we talk about this, you know, that kind of boundary setting. Um, I'm going to send through a, a model uh, I'll put it actually I'll post it up on the the me improvement Facebook page and I'll put it in the link probably for the recording you know, on YouTube for this um, it's a model a bead model it's called and it's a, a model you can use for giving feedback and it'll really help you guys in managing manipulation 
So let's wrap it up. Let's have a look at the key summary there. First off, manipulation is all about how you feel emotionally. If you ignore your emotions during an interaction, you're more open to manipulation. If you believe that you can control your emotions, you're more open to manipulation. If you believe you cannot be manipulated, you're the most open to manipulation. The second thing is about helpful versus unhelpful. Some forms of manipulation are there to make your life better in the longer term. They'll often, not always, but often make you feel worse right now in order to break you down and build you up to something bigger. Um, that said, that is not a definite. So helpful manipulation, it's really about looking in my in the longer term of my life. Is 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 things getting better? Are things getting better? Is my quality of life improving? You know, and this is really important for those of you into self-development. I know quite a few of you are the ones watching this. You really need to be wary of some of the kind of programs you might do, books you even books you'll read, um, seminars, things that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Do they just make you feel good for a couple of weeks? Or do they actually generate long-term change and maybe not make you feel good right there in the moment? Know the difference. One of the key warning signs is, does the person leading it, are they open to being wrong? Or do they go on like they know the only way forward? Um, So we've got helpful versus unhelpful. We've got the digging back into your past. Having a look, how have you been manipulated in the past? What have you learned from that? What are you most prone to? You know, do you find that if you're afraid, you're very likely to move? If you're flattered, if you feel good about yourself, you'll do anything for someone. Um, do you find that you're guilty that you don't see yourself as good enough? Is that something that somebody can use against you? Are you easily influenced by other people's opinions of you? That kind of thing. Um, or are you such an like people pleaser that if someone's got problems, you'll put aside what you really want to talk to in order to deal with their problems? You know, are you easily distracted? Then we've got those four methods. We've got intimidation. So someone making you feel afraid. We've got, um, flattery or validation, someone making you feel good about yourself. We've got invalidation, somebody making you feel bad or guilty about yourself. We've got distraction, someone throwing you off track. And in terms of manager, we've got those four sort of that series of ways to manage this. First, you call it out. You talk about how you feel in relation to what they're saying. Secondly, you ask them why are they expressing themselves in this way? What is the purpose of it? Thirdly, you call out, hey, the way you're expressing it is having this influential effect on me. I believe you're trying to control me with this or maybe unintentionally trying to control me with this. And then setting the boundary as that fourth strategy. This is how I prefer you do it. This is how it needs to be done in the future. So I hope that was helpful for you guys. It's, uh, like I said, one of my favorite topics. And one of the first things you can do is just go out this week and just notice how you are manipulated by everyone all the time and start to see if you can identify the difference between helpful and unhelpful. Bearing in mind the difference is with helpful, you'll have permission and guidance and long-term improvement of quality of life, all three of those things. And in helpful, you might be missing one of the key ones. You might have given permission, but you haven't told them how you want to be helped, or you might feel good right now but in the longer term you feel worse so have a look at that and hopefully that will help you guys and just bear in mind one of the things we didn't mention here is that you have to be bold in order to manage manipulation you have to call things out get uncomfortable have confrontations 
If you're unwilling to do that, then you are going to be manipulated harmfully for the rest of your life. So it's time to sack up, get ready to be disapproved of, to be judged, to have some people not like you in order to maintain your boundaries and build much stronger self-worth that's resilient to the manipulation of others.